This is a WTF podcast experience. The alternative is that you live a meaningless life, living in a comfort zone, uh, dripping in a dopamine, sitting on a couch, and then fueling that with more social media, which is just a constant stream of dopamine. A collection of ferrets is called a business, and here on New Zealand's most awarding business podcast, we tame the ferrets once and for all. We welcome entrepreneurs, leaders, inspirational figureheads to inform, educate, motivate and inspire. My name is Freddie Bennett. I'm an Englishman in New Zealand, entrepreneur, author, Guinness World Record holder and wannabe podcast host. And today, folks, we have got a real treat for you. I I get a feeling sometimes when it's going to be a classic episode of Taming the Ferrets. And right now, my spider senses are tingling. I am delighted to welcome serial entrepreneur and Bay of Plenty resident Emil Verster to the Taming the Ferrets studio. I am excited about this one. Emil, welcome. Wow. What an introduction. <laughs> How am I going to live up to that? You've already done it, Emily. You've already done it. And thank you so much for being part of the show. To, to get things kicked off, for anyone that, that hasn't heard about you or, or your many businesses, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, 25 years in New Zealand, previously in, in South Africa, living in Durban. We live in New Zealand in Papamore. Uh, Lisa, my beautiful wife, with six gorgeous children. Only two at home now. Everybody's, we're going to be empty nesters soon, which is an exciting new chapter for us. Uh, and I look, I look a, a lot younger than I actually do. <laughs> I thought you were about 28. Whoa! And, um, obviously no stress in my life. Obviously not. Wow, six children. We're going to have to... Let's come on to that one, definitely, because that sounds like... Uh, I would say it's a handful, but I, c- I can't even count that on. No, it's but, a uh, hand and a finger. Exactly. <laughs> but, it, but it sounds fantastic. And if you were to, to describe... If someone said to you, what do you do for a living? How would you describe it? In two words, uh, to use strength finders, Gallup strength finders, mm-hmm. as a strategic maximizer. I love that. Uh, so that's where my sweet spot is. Um, it's discerning trends at a strategic level, and a maximizer is taking something good to being superb. Mm-hmm. So I love working with people that are really motivated and have got the right attitude, and that's really helpful. Definitely. And how... How did you discover you're a strategic maximizer? Is this something you've always known from, from childhood? What, what was, what's that journey been like for you? Well, if we were to give my life a title, it would be uh, failure, the secret of my success. Mm. Uh, ultimately, um, when it comes to making winning decisions, um, it's there's something to be said about the value of experience. Uh, we live in a world which is constantly changing and... Um, the, the the gen the Gen Zs and the the Generation Ys and the Millennials they all hacking life. Mm. They seem to be having, living their best life. And the baby boomers and the uh, Gen Xs are just like stressed to the max with mm. all this constant change. And so I'm just fascinated to understand what does success look like and how do you, and and modelling success. Mm. And so I've been studying success for a long time. And unfortunately or fortunately, failure plays quite a large role in success. One of the weaknesses of success, unfortunately, is overconfidence because you think you can control your future. So one has to be really cautious about being overconfident when one becomes successful because we live in a constant state of change. 
And that's really interesting. And I'd love to, to dive into that for, for a second if we can. So, so you said we believe, or one of the, 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 I'll start that again. So you said that one of the, yeah, one of the potential pitfalls is that, that we believe that we can control our future. Now, I know a lot of, of the, the, the literature and text, what we see on social media, everyone says that you, you can control your future. But, but you think, is, is that essentially a false assumption? But where it comes from, for the most part, is uh, living in a comfort zone. Mm. Uh, comfort zones are delicious places to stay. They certainly are. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, when you live in a comfort zone, your cognitive dissonance hijacks you. Mm. Because your cognitive dissonance is anything else that contradicts what you believe, we want to uh, dismiss it. So opinions, uh, articles, trends... And so what happens is you live in this echo chamber of relevance. And you sometimes become irrelevant because you're living in this comfort zone, holding on to your cognitive dis dissonance, keeping you there. And, and this confirmation bias that keeps you in that same place results in the world moving past you. Mm. And so in your world, uh, you're saying life is good. Yep. But the reality is that the world that you're living in, in an, sort of a microcosm of the Bigger, bigger context is that mm. it's is that it's no longer relevant. I was um, I was thinking of the example, and and I can't remember the the whole story, but of the um, in World War Two, it may have been Japan. There were the, the couple of people that were on the island or in the forest, and and they all still believed that the war was still going on. Yeah, you know, twenty or thirty years after the war had finished, and yeah. I think that that's such a great analogy that we can we can stay within our. I've called it before, you know, within our, you know, our castles of comfort, and we've yeah. been too scared to, to leave the walls because inside, you know, we, we have our Netflix, we have our scrolling on Instagram, we have the, the the echo chambers that we live in where people think the same as us and tell us the same, and and we can tell ourselves it's always fine, but but no growth happens in that. No, so um, I followed Dr. Andrew Uberman, mm -hmm. uh, and he's all about neuroplasticity. And that's an understanding, really, of how if you try, when you move outside your comfort zones by intentionally making yourself uncomfortable, uh, you you need a, a hit of well, you receive a hit of noradrenaline, mm. but when you make the step, you get a, another hit of dopamine to justify and release. So if you're in a position where you can actually control your brain in some respects with neuroplasticity, you're in a position to move on change your focus, uh, adapt to your environment, uh, and uh, and be rewarded as you do it. Uh, the alternative is that you live a meaningless life, living in a comfort zone, uh, dripping in a dopamine, sitting on a couch, and then fueling that with more social media, which is just a constant stream of dopamine. And do, do you feel that, and uh, we'll come on to this, and I'm, I'm very much speaking from experience here, someone who used to literally live in that place 24-7 for years and years and years, but maybe we'll, we'll cover that. But do you think people realize that they're, they're in that place? And, and is there usually an event that makes them think, hang on, I'm potentially going down the wrong path, or there's a whole wide world out there to explore? Or do you think they... I'm always minded of, of, of the movie The Matrix when, when people don't realise that, that they're in that position. We've just come out of a trauma um, and with two years of COVID, the pandemic, and uh, 
a lot of people are at the point now where that uncertainty is, they're tired. Mm. They're at a point now where they're saying, now we're getting back into some form of routine, but I don't have the energy. I need a sabbatical because of the uncertainty that they've traveled through. Now, what if I was to tell you that we're now going into a recession where that might perpetuate for another three years of uncertainty? What's that going to do to you as an individual? So the, the risk is that uh, we, we're living in a world that's constantly changing. So how do, we, how do we prepare ourselves for that world? And the key is finding meaning in what we do. Uh, when we're purposeful, it helps us deal with trauma. What, um, and what kind of, you know, when we're speaking about trauma, do you think that that means, as I say, and I know some people think of trauma as, as something really bad and major that you've got PTSD and everything from, but, but I think uh, you know, there's another view that, that says trauma can be, as you say, going through, through COVID or being worried about your job or just a period of uncertainty. Is, is that right? Yes. So uh, um, obviously trauma in its different forms, but ultimately, even if it's not real, it's perceived, the, the, the impact on your body is the same. Mm. And so you live that whole per that perception becomes your reality. So how, how so if, if we diagnose um, PTSD and it's significant for war veterans, mm. there are occasions where people will be going through something similar when facing bankruptcy or uh, a broken marriage or mm. a death of a family member. And it's a case of saying, well, how do you navigate through that? Now, I'm no psychologist. I'm just a businessman uh, who's loves tech because I believe it has a deflationary effect and helps you uh, going into the future. But in order to understand who I do business with and make me better at what I do, um, I'm, a, I'm a constantly lear constantly learning and open to learning. Definitely. I think it's a really interesting point that you make as well around that whole aspect of, of, of trauma and, and the changes that we all experience in our lives. Because I think so many people potentially in the business world, but I think in, in, in the wider world as well, they don't stop and realize that they're going through a traumatic event. Usually the solution is either to ignore it, stick your head in the sand, again, for, for high performers, work harder, just keep on doing the same of what I'm doing. And, and a lot of people beat themselves up. I always say if people spoke to their colleagues the way they speak to themselves they'd be fired and mm. and they they sort of bring on this 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 negative self-talk mm. without stopping to realize that actually they they're going through quite a quite a big traumatic event and there are different approaches to to deal with it i agree completely um we are in a situation where if we look at moving house for example as being highly traumatic um getting divorced highly traumatic um and, and, and losing a loved one, obviously, and losing your job. That's the world that we're looking at with respect to the impact on the recession and housing and the impact on people losing jobs. And it's a case of saying, well, how do you prepare for that? Um, my recommendation is we don't make, we don't uh, hope or hold on to the fact that the world will be a kind of easier place to live in, mm -hmm. that we individually become better at dealing with the world. And so that's understanding who you are, uh, firstly. And then um, once you play to your strengths, uh, operating at stuff that really resonates with you at a heart level, or at a passion level, where you prepare to make the sacrifice uh, and you invest the necessary energy and learning and skills 
you're now heading in a direction that hopefully is going to find meaning for your life that helps you deal with the trauma and because you have a, you have purpose definitely and i'd love to dive deeper into the whole strengths passion meaning and purpose angle because that's i find such a fascinating place and again being there myself for so long I was trying to find my passion. You know, sat in, and I know so many people are sat in unfulfilling jobs, saying, "If only, if only I could find out what my passion is. If only I can monetize my passion." All these these things around. I feel that there's so many people at the moment that are searching for a way to give meaning, not just to their 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 jobs, but also their lives. How does someone even begin with that in trying to, to work out? Firstly, what what am I really passionate about, and and secondly, how to actually how do I, I, I turn that into, into a job or, or a life that I love? First, it's about being uncomfortable. Mm. So um, if we continue to remain, now, for other than the, the significant and traumatic and, and the, the impact on people's lives and the deaths that were caused that we can't dismiss, but we appreciate. Me personally, with my wife, it was like going back to the 70s. Mm. No cars on the road, riding bikes everywhere. It was the perfect opportunity to have this sabbatical, this forced sabbatical. Uh, it recharged the batteries, uh, allowed me to think creatively. I had fun. I started new businesses. So it just became um, a real, I, I, I reframed the whole experience mm -hmm. and said, what positives can I take out of this? Definitely. But going back to your question, if people uh, appreciate that in order to find passion or meaning in their world, they They've got a whole experience, uh, a backstory, and that has got a whole lot of skills and knowledge in it. Uh, there is something to be said about having too much knowledge. And so even though the youth are hacking uh, life today, they have a lot of knowledge. But they don't necessarily have what's key, which is when to use that knowledge, which is wisdom. But they understand their world better than the baby boomers and the Gen Xs. And so because... Uh, Wisdom is important, which is knowing when to apply the knowledge. Intergenerationally, there's an opportunity to collaborate and support each other. Mm. Uh, and that takes trust. And trustworthiness is made up of two parts, not only character, but also competence. But going back to your question again about the significant, where do you find meaning, is um, ultimately you, you've got to go to count down a couple of cul-de-sacs. And you can't be scared of failing. Uh, but I use the analogy of, um, of the experienced uh, worker who's made a thousand decisions, 500 have been bad and 500 have been good. And then you've got the young overachiever that has made maybe 10, 15 great decisions and he's rocketed through the ranks mm -hmm. in a corporate environment. Who would you employ? The world would employ the, the overachiever yeah. because of their success and they seem to have this, uh, this ability to continue to make positive or uh, successful results or decisions, winning decisions. Whereas in the case of the, the experienced individual, I'm saying there's this massive resource available for somebody that's able to say, don't go down that cul-de-sac. Mm. So as individuals, if you surround yourself with wise counsel, with individuals who are in a situation who you respect, who have got character and competence, mm. that trustworthiness, those individuals could help you navigate understanding where you are and where you need to be based on uh, them looking in on your life and you're giving them permission to, to talk to that. But it's overlapping that, sorry. It's overlapping that with, um, with uh, not only what you're good at, 
what the world needs, but how do you monetize that? Mm. And those concentric circles that need to get to a point where what's that sweet spot in the middle? Mm. Uh, and you and and it's 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 a process of elimination, and that's why uh, you don't necessarily get it shooting from the hip straight away. Uh, I love that there are so many so many gems of, of of gold in the ML, and I think that to start off, I totally agree with what you're saying around too much knowledge, not enough wisdom, and and I I see this a lot with the people that I speak to, mainly in the business community, but also in, in the wider personal development world. There's there's always another book. There's always another seminar. There's always another podcast. Obviously, apart from this one, because this is amazing. But um, yes. yeah, I, I see people, and and they say, "Oh, I've just signed up for another course, or I've just got another mentor. I've just done this." And then, but in a year's time, they haven't changed. And I'm I'm all for for learning and growth and personal development. But I think just by doing that alone, um, there's um. There's a, a man who I who I follow and I know well, a guy called called Travis Sago, and he's he's in America, and um, and he says something like, "Would you, who would you rather work with, the person who's read a thousand books about fishing, or the person who's out there on his boat who's who's pulling in marlin every single day, but never read a book in his life?" Mm-hmm. And and it's the same thing, and it is that that wisdom, and I think that also the action that is is, is so powerful, and and the other area that you were saying around not being scared of, of failure because I think it can it can paralyze us and yeah. and I mean well you tell me I imagine have have there been failures on on the way in, in your journey to, to get here uh, significantly more failures than success mm. and constantly learning and failing mm. so we 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 train in the gym and we exercise uh, and we, I do it with my wife and we've been doing it for 30 something years and so I do a little bit of powerlifting because there's an element of fear, which keeps my training exciting. Mm. And so um, in that environment, when I train, no, I don't always achieve my weight. Mm. Uh, there are occasions where I don't achieve it. There's certain days, of the, certain weeks of the month where I'm just not performing. And in those environments, I still turn up and go through the motions. And even though I'm light and Christmas has come earlier and I'm now doing the exercise, but it's no, I'm not just really going through the motions. Mm. I'm having some fun. I'm taking, I'm, I'm sort of reframing it and getting some, enjoying the experience. Um, the reality is that I'm overall improving and my trajectory is slightly at an upward angle. Mm. And so I'm on my way. There are occasions where I suddenly have a spike or a good week and I hit my PB. Ultimately, I haven't walked into the gym uh, wanting to push uh, ridiculous weights from day one, but I've strengthened myself as an individual to cope with the world of the gym. Mm. And so I felt a lot more in my weight training to achieve my PB than I have uh, achieving my PB on every occasion. And so that hopefully that analogy ex- helps explain how when making decisions in life, if you don't get outside of your comfort zone, believe me, as I mentioned earlier, based on Dr. Andrew Uberman's uh, studies, you do get rewarded with dopamine when you get a noradrenaline uh, rush. And it allows you to go a little bit further, a little bit further. So. If you're having a laugh along the way uh, of your struggles, and sometimes black humor, is, as inappropriate as it, as it is, is sometimes exactly what you need in order to have the relief. Definitely. And I, I see that a lot in my business. Yeah, we, we might talk about selling or marketing, and my favorite one is, is understanding people's connections to money. And we get them to do many exercises, but 
if you take cold calling, for example, and the, the fear that people have, I can't call up, even for, again, for that being stereotypical, but the younger generation, if you say to them, pick up the phone and phone someone, yeah. they're like, oh, I can't do that. What, what if they answer? And, <laughs> um, and, and just helping someone to step through that, that fear. Maybe it's a sales conversation for yes. the first time or a cold call or just a phone call. Or in the fitness world, as you were saying, for some people, it is stepping foot into a gym for the first time, yes. and it could be terrifying. But then you see the the reward afterwards. They say that 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 real dopamine hit, and yeah. people have have hopefully achieved whatever goal it is, and, and that feels great. But the fact that they've done it is is such a powerful thing. Um, and even you know, my kids on on the diving board. Mm. They're so scared to go to the edge, and they're like, and they're there for ages, yeah. just looking over, and they go, oh, "I can't do it, Daddy, I can't do it." Yeah. And they say, as soon as they've done it once, and then they're up and down mm. for hours, and I'm just bored on the sidelines. <laughs> but but they, um, but as say they once they take that that merit, metaphorical and physical first step, then then a whole new world of opportunity opens up. Exactly. When when it comes to goal setting, ultimately you want to make sure you understand your values. So values are the atmosphere or the emotional states. And we have these motivating values and demotivating values. A demotivating value would be frustration, anger, overwhelm. They stop you in your tracks. Mm. You want to find motivating values like passion, enthusiasm, responsibility, and so on. And likewise, in a business environment, you want to create that atmosphere. Mm. And you want to recruit people based on values first. Uh, culture trumps strategy, even though I'm a strategic maximizer. And so... The reason why you also want to understand values right at the beginning of any process is when you're pursuing a goal, you want to make sure that the values and the goal are congruent. I'll give you the analogy of a, a salesman who loves his family. He's out there traveling away from the family, hitting his sales targets. But when he has his sales report or his sales meeting every week or month, he feels unfulfilled because his sales goals have come at the expense of love, which is spending time with his family. So it's very important that individuals do a values exercise, uh, which is fun. Mm. Uh, and when you've done it, you then look at your goal setting. And then you see, okay, if I achieve that goal, how, what is the impact on my values? And will there be incongruency? And if there is, it's a case of, oh, I don't want to go down that road because I will feel unfulfilled. So how does it make me feel when I pursue that goal is the question you ask yourself. Mm. And how, how do you go about even understanding what your values are. If someone's listening to this and thinking, oh, that, that sounds like something we need, where where do you even begin by working out what, what your values or someone else's value? Imagine the divorces that could be saved if we did this, wow. the, the business relationships that, and I say this to someone, again, I've, I've all of my, well, not all of them, because I've had many of them, but <laughs> some of my business failures have been because I partnered up with people and we just didn't have the right values. Yeah. And I always think if we'd known that at the start, we could have saved so much time and money and pain and arguments and everything. So where, where do you even begin with it? So it's what, it's going two things. There's uh, lots to talk to here. The first part is that, um, firstly, if you've got the knowledge, you, you know where to find the knowledge, you just go to Google. Mm. But the key before starting that process is asking what are the questions I want answered, and that's wisdom. So with asking the right questions, it's like, where can I go on Google, for example, to find uh, a list of values? And then uh, where can I go and do a little workshop on understanding this list of values compared to this workshop and then, mm -hmm. and then building a, a values list for yourself? 
but your values are different for your business as they are for your family, uh, you know, personally, and so on. Mm. Uh, so um, what that's the one side of things, which is um, knowing that there's knowledge out there in the world. What are the questions I'm going to ask that I'm trying to get answers for? When you ask the right questions, you will find the knowledge. Don't be premature about overloading with knowledge without actually having understood where you're at and what questions you're looking for. The second part is going back to starting with business partners um, the, and having congruency with uh, or an atmosphere of similar values and, re and recruiting individuals with similar values because it makes it a lot easier. If conscientiousness and responsibility are um, they're actually explicit but they haven't been communicated so they're implicit expectations of, an, of a worker who's turned up and they've got great skill set, but they might have low EQ and they don't know how to navigate a social landscape. Mm -hmm. And so in those individuals, they're saying things that are inappropriately or poorly timed. So it's, it's great when you recruit and you go through a good recruitment process and you identify a best practice management system to do all that. You then create, you hold on to your profits and you don't recreate the wheel using a management system. But there's something also to be said about understanding personalities. If we were to spend um, a little bit of time understanding who we are and doing a DISC profile or a strength finders and so on, uh, Myers-Briggs, when we do those personality profiles uh, and we know who we are, if we understand DISC profiling in the workplace, we get a new or fresh appreciation of the individuals around us. So it becomes less personal about when somebody isn't necessarily gelling with you because they've got a different personality. Mm. So you can deal with a lot of confrontation, contention, um, you know, a lack of uh, unity or um, collective thinking. Mm. In that environment, if you know the personalities and you say, oh, I'll use a little picture of a little, I'll use this analogy that I use fairly often, which is there's four personalities. Um, this is my own version. There's the, the owl, there's the turtle, there's the hare, and there's the squirrel. Uh, the owl's very good at discerning a plan. Uh, the hare is great at coming up with ideas, hare brain ideas. And then you've got the turtle who has some reservations, who's always finding faults. You don't want to be in an environment where you've got a turtle and a hare in the same room. Because as soon as the hare comes up with an idea, the turtle shoots it down. So the owl hasn't got anything to work with. Yeah. So in that situation, when you've identified the personalities in the room, you say, okay, Al's going to deal with Mr. Hare, and Mr. Hare's going to give him all the answers, all, all the queries, all the solutions, all the ideas. And then independent of that meeting, Al will have a meeting with Turtle. Mm -hmm. Turtle will then list all the things that he finds fault with that. And then he will take those ideas or faults and bring them back to the Hare, and they'll go through this process over and over again until eventually all the questions and answers have been answered but managed by the Al. Mm -hmm. And once that's done, you hand it over to the squirrel to roll it out. And I, I love that, and so many reasons, because I, I think, well, firstly, we all, through no fault of our own, I think, just through lack of knowledge and guidance, you kind of throw people together, and then they try and make something happen, and it doesn't work, because you've got the wrong combination of, of, of owls and hares and so on. I also, um, as part of my own journey, it was, uh, I can't remember the name of the assessment, it was something along the lines of, of, of strength finder and disc and so on, but the whole uh, ethos or the emphasis of it was there are many different ways to be successful. And they say, you know, if you look at um, you know, Bill Gates, 
J.K. Rowling, Oprah, and Elon Musk. All very successful, but they've all been very different personality types. They've all found their success in very different ways. And and they always say, you know, what happens if um, Oprah was telling herself, I need to be like Bill Gates. I need to start a tech company. It, she would never have been successful because she was just trying to do the wrong thing in the wrong way with the wrong people. And, and I think that that's such a powerful message. And I, I believe that success, however you want to define it, is, is out there for all of us. But you have to be, first, as you say, you have to know who you are and, and you have to surround yourself with people who are going to compliment you, not, not um, say, shoot you down or, or not allow you to play to those strengths. Malcolm Gladwell wrote, he's written four great books. He might have written more, but the three that um, I've read recently and studied, not recently, but have studied, is Outliers, The Story of Success. But then he also wrote The Tipping Point and Blink. Mm. In Outliers, he talks, Malcolm Gladwell talks to um, how just being born at the right time is going to give you a physiological advantage over the, in a young, at a younger age uh, over... Uh, and all, the next six, six months of the year, the yeah. second half. And as a consequence, you're going to have the benefit of the self-fulfilling prophecy that exists within your world. Mm. You get first chosen first. So if you And his analogy that was with the Canadian hockey team. But he, you could do that with almost any national sport and mm. say, how many of the All Blacks or Black Ferns are in the first six months of the year? And you might be pleasantly surprised that the majority are sitting in that area, depending on whatever the threshold is. But the point I'm trying to make out of that is that there's so many variables that contribute to success mm. that it's not unique, that it's an element of DNA or a personality trait that you can isolate it to. Mm. And so if it wasn't for Bill Gates growing up in the 50s and his particular school had a computer that allowed him to experiment and play on and they were going to pay them to do calculations on it, mm. He would possibly never have gone down that road, but that window of opportunity was limited to two years, and he was at the school at that time. Definitely. So there's so much, dare I say, a, a fortune or luck involved in success, mm. and it's not a, necessarily a reflection of the individual. The part the individual plays is they step out, mm. and they don't sit there waiting. They actually step out. There are occasions where people get stuff dropped in their lap, but for the most part, the key is to step out. And when you step out, um, you create momentum in that area or that direction. Mm. And so if you're in a situation uh, at home, unemployed, and you say, uh, how do I change my circumstances? Well, MSD, get a loan. And physically, you maybe are uh, mature, mm. so you're not physically strong. But you wise, because you know what doesn't work in life. Mm. So could I suggest to you, thinking laterally, that you go to MSD, get a loan, you then do a forklift license. Mm -hmm. Now with a forklift license, the forklift does the work. Yeah. And now you bring the work ethic, the conscientiousness and the responsibility to the table, and it, there's a whole lot of uncomfortable moments and decisions you need to make to get down that road mm -hmm. of signing up for a forklift license to then turning up at your first job. But there's a desperate need. Yeah. forklift licenses and you don't have to be physically fit mm. other than you know you've got to have a car license or something yeah and it's true i think there's there's such element there and it's something i uh, i speak about sometimes a lot on on the podcast it's about making your own luck and i think there's i know so many cases of, of people who have said oh i've you know 
I, I, I sat next to someone. Um, yeah, I, I had a, did a, recorded a podcast with someone. I, I met someone and we had a conversation, and then this led to that, and that, led, and then, some, and then other people be like, "Ah, oh, so lucky!" Like that person, they always good things always happen to them. They always just make have that random conversation, but really, it's because they they do, as you say, they put themselves in that mm-hmm. situation, and rarely, and despite all the the stuff you read about, you know, people becoming millionaires just sat at home in their pajamas. I think, yeah, rarely, rarely does success happen sat on your own at home. Yeah. I think it is all about just getting yourself out there. And I think that the main thing is that I'd love to get your, your view on this. Not always having having the, the plan on strategy. I mean, I had that, uh, maybe you had it when, when you arrived here 25 years ago. I I knew, and I, yeah, I'm on the Myers-Briggs side of it, I'm, I'm an introvert, which isn't great if you're a hosting a podcast but there you go <laughs> um and just i knew i knew because my wife had a had a proper job as i call it um i knew i couldn't sit at home all day i knew it was going to drive me literally insane and i i knew i didn't know what i was going to do i didn't know quite how it was going to play out but i knew i just had to get out there and start meeting people and yeah. put myself out because otherwise and as it, it literally terrifies me what would happen if i just stayed at home on my own, waiting for the kids to come home, waiting for my wife to come home, because it's your life goes in a totally different direction. It does. There's this thing called the unconscious marriage, mm. which is something completely different. Now, we're talking about so many different subjects. <laughs> <laughs> the unconscious marriage is when you get married, you might have the same values or understanding or goals. And then ultimately, you have this unconscious marriage as people move on. They have children. Some go to work, some don't, and because they're looking after children or whatever. And it, if they don't continuously connect throughout life, there's a risk that um, the, they're going to wake up one day and they're going to be very different people and they're not going to be in touch. I think that's the kind of relationship you need to have with yourself. Mm. Yeah, we are in a co-working space, doing a, in the studio. Doing. There's also, if you know your limitations and you know that there's, um, you need to put yourself in an uncomfortable environment, by getting dressed and going to work, which I believe is the future, which is co-working spaces, because if overheads get too expensive, people have got team members that need to travel, you want to be in an environment where it's collaborative, synergies are there, energy, and you're also in an uncomfortable place. If you could get dressed and go to a place, in your case as an introvert, Mm. to a co-working space, and say, okay, it's not just the investment in rent because I could work from home at the dining room table, it's more a case of saying I'm setting myself up to success because I've got these limiting beliefs and I'm just protecting myself from myself. Mm, definitely. And I wanted to, to ask you as well, I think, and, and on that on that subject of, uh, of self-talk and how we, how we frame our lives, you describing yourself as a, as a serial entrepreneur, which, which I think is, is amazing. Do you believe that anyone can be an entrepreneur or are there certain people who are, there's always the phrase that I hear from people, I, I, I'm, I'm not cut out to have my own business, I'm more of, a, of an employee type. Do you think that's the case, or can anyone be an entrepreneur, a successful one? That is such a tough question. You, see, you don't want to place labels on anybody, and, mm. and just because your experience is, is one thing, you don't want necessarily people to take ownership of that. Mm. But the, re- the reality is that there's certain elements with being an entrepreneur, and one of them is identifying trends. And, con- and commercializing them. Mm. And so, you know, 
as a, as an introvert, uh, you know, you 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 know, if you want to power through a social landscape, you need to have a high EQ. If but in saying that, you know, you might be dogmatic and have a very strong, narrow focus in an area, and there's a there's a commercial reality in that space, and you could benefit from that. So. Um, I'm, I'm being a little bit unfair. I'm sitting on the fence only because I just don't want to place any labels or limitations on anybody else. But to be an entrepreneur, ideally, you've got to be able to be aware of your environment, be able to identify trends that are taking place and being able to commercialize those. And if you've got that mindset, thinking from a customer's perspective, and, and it's critical from a customer's perspective, you understand their pain. There's no point in us giving generic customer responses and giving these broad uh, uh, presentations or spending marketing budgets, the more narrow the focus, the better. And ultimately, you want to target your specific avatar or demographic and draw them out and only communicate with them. And that's the only role marketing plays. So in some respects, if you could give a great heading, because copy chooses its partners, you know, if you've got great copy, if you're looking for a barbecue, you look at the barbecue ads because of this thing called the reticular activating okay. system. And you see red cars, if you've got a red car, and the list goes on. But uh, likewise, when it comes to marketing or entrepreneurial uh, and then trying to understand if there's a commercial reality, you can be a generalist. You don't have to be an expert mm. because you don't need to be an expert in every area. There's The way we the world is moving, which is why I think the youth are excelling and hacking life, is they don't need a nine-to-five reality. They can use uh, Uber to pay off their car. They could use Airbnb to fund their rent. They could do part of the gig economy in order to juggle a few opportunities and thrive. Mm. Uh, and with lots of disposable income, and they benefit benefit from the supposedly $50 trillion wealth transfer that's going to take place as the baby boomers pop their clogs. Mm. <laughs> so. I think, and you're, you're right, and it's it's such a, a different way of living. And I sound uh, I sound old as I say this, but um, I think it's fascinating. I'd love to get your your view in a second and on the wider you know, the, the techn- technological implications for the future. But you know, I've got a, a an eight year old and eleven year old. They they don't watch live TV. They don't read instruction books. They, you give them anything, whether it's a piece of tech, or and they just say, "I'm going to figure it out, and I'm yeah. just going to have a play with it." And they do. Yeah. They, everything is online. Everything is on demand. And in a way, I'm terrified, and, and I'm also fascinated because it just shows the way the the way we change so quickly, mm-hmm. and everything is just there when they want it. The thought of Try to uh, try to make a, a cup of tea or a meal in, a, in an advert break, like we used to have, or, or try to rush home because your favourite TV show starts at, at four o'clock. They're like, what, what are you doing? So, what, what what's your views on that, and how you think the technology is going to affect our lives in the future? Well, technology, like money, is neutral. Mm. Uh, I w- I'm not. I would not be surprised, but I don't know if tech companies uh, study children and their behaviours. Uh, and they rely on this intuitive uh, logic that takes place when a, for a user experience, and so they will then create the the functionality around that user experience. Mm. So it's intuitive for children, but we operate at a head level because we're looking for the manual in order to read it, and then we've got extra nuts and bolts at the end of assembling the flat back furniture mm. 
tech tech furniture. So um, technology for me is so because we we literally cyborgs. We're all cyborgs mm. because we're holding this mobile phone in our hand. And every time we do a flick on the phone, we're now benefiting from AR. Yeah. Human mm. uh, inter integrated AR. Mm. But we've got this we've got this powerful opportunity to take technology like a mobile phone, run our lives and take all the benefits from it. Mm. If we appreciate that if we're going to spend all our life on indulging ourselves with entertainment and just exploring dopamine hits and not using it as a tool, it has a negative effect. And that's going to grind you to a halt. And it's not going to allow you to progress. Mm. And, and do you, I mean, how, how do you feel that the technology trends will will, will impact businesses? I mean, we, we've, I, from my point of view, see, I, and I've I worked a bit in this space, when COVID hit, I thought that that was when VR was fully going to, yeah, and the metaverse was really going to come in there. We see what's happening with, with cryptocurrency at the moment and the big uncertainty there. What's your, your view in, in, in any potential future trends or, or, or the future of work, as they like to call it? A couple of things. So blockchain technology is great. Mm. Cryptocurrency is just an element of that. Mm. I love the fact that you could have these ledgers that uh, allow you to, as a farmer, uh, control the supply chain of food from gate to plate. Mm. Uh, and so there's a lot of benefits that come with blockchain technology. When it comes to cryptocurrency, for me, I've just finished an eight-month contract with a large crypto business, uh, working with their sales automations, sales funnels and automations. And um, it was absolute, I had to immerse myself in that world. Mm. And the reality is that, for the most part, um, cryptos have benefited from zero interest rates. Yeah. The flood of money has impacted assets, both in residential homes and in the likes of crypto, which people need to drop their money somewhere. Mm. Now there's no more money. So the nature of the Metcalf law is they need individuals to join up in order to keep on, continue to drive the price. So just talking a little bit as an aside mm. as we go down that road, we could elaborate further because I've just found that whole experience quite fascinating. It's obviously in a crypto window. Now if I look at, say, for example, to, to an extreme, if I look at... Uh, cryptocurrencies that are, I know we're going not down the direction of the question you asked, but uh, if we look at, say, for example, Ethereum, mm. who builds platforms of on blockchain that a lot of other utility value can be generated. Mm. If you look at the intrinsic value based on their fees, the prices, and this is purely for educational purposes, mm. so don't take my advice. <laughs> I seek out as professional when Obviously, making... Yep. <laughs> The, the, the fundamentals suggest the price is around 5500 US based on its revenues mm. using a traditional valuation model. Uh, it's trading at 1100 1200 today. Mm. That's Ethereum. Yeah. It's, in, it's intrinsic value is 5500 mm. but it's sitting at $1,100. Yeah. Bitcoin, unfortunately, is more of a store of wealth, and that's dependent on speculation mm. and hodlers driving in the market price up. Yeah. So going back to what is the future of work, well, if you were to say, well, the world is looking for an alternative currency because they believe the social contract is broken, the yeah. government has let them down, over, you know, there's the whole lot of movement in their conspiracy theories, there's the anti-vaxxers, the list just goes on with people that are disenfranchised with the status quo. And it's a case of saying, okay, so what does that look like? What is the role of cryptocurrencies or the future of work in this space? Now individuals can participate in a workforce using a cryptocurrency to be paid 
if they've done KYC, the RDs onto them, there's no wriggle room there. So that's not like they can try and escape the world altogether. But that's, I'm sure most people out there are happy yeah. paying their taxes. So the reality is that in that environment, you've got an alternative currency with no transfer uh, transaction fees, mm -hmm. unless you're using a traditional uh, cryptocurrency that's going through a public exchange. Yeah. Apologies, I'm going on a ramp. Yeah. We can have a whole other cryptocurrency podcast. <laughs> but I think, as you show it, I think it really shows that the, I believe, well, both the desire for change, yeah, and, and that push for for decentralizing a lot of things, whether that is uh, you know, um, the internet, currency, government control. Um, so things could be interesting over the next two to three years. Is there going to be some, you know, like a real global push? You see it happening in individual countries. You, I saw what happened in Brexit with, uh, with Brexit in the UK. But the, is there going to be a real tipping point where people are just like, like with any change we've talked about, you know, you need to have a driver to say, I'm not going to do this shit anymore. Yeah. And, and that is the case, whether it's society, whether it's fitness, weight loss, relationships, whatever it is. And I do wonder if, if, if many workers and, and citizens are reaching that point. So there's this massive group of individuals. This is the future of work now. There's this massive group of individuals that are underemployed. Mm. That means they work 30 hours a week. They can't fit in anything else because their calendar's got these gaps. Mm. Um, there's some brilliant SaaS out there, one of them called Provide. Mm. Shout out to Provide. <laughs> uh, they help you fill in the gaps mm. on your calendar. And so now there's an opportunity where you as a, a worker get said job invites, which is different to browsing and applying. Mm. In the past, traditionally, you would browse the various websites, you would then apply, you would wait, you get shortlisted, you go into a spreadsheet at someone's recruitment office, they'll go through a process of elimination, they'll identify people for a shortlist, they'll do the interview process and so on. Can you imagine, based on your profile, you suddenly got a job invite and all you have to do is accept it or mm. not accept it. So if you've got low self-esteem, it's very empowering and enabling. Definitely. And you can use that same technology in order to help facilitate the relationship from onboarding right the way through to working on a day-to-day -day basis through mm. geolocation and then and, and so on. So do you see how technology there could manage a lot of the low payoff activities? Definitely. And so an individual who's turning up empowered, uh, safe, mm. and then when they, if they understand the nature of the job because they've watched how things get done according to explicit expectations from that company, mm. that also doesn't allow them to be ambushed down the road by a supervisor or a manager who's saying that's not how we do things around here mm. because that's a re that's a reflection on management who haven't been explicit when there's implicit expectations and a difference in values again as, as we were saying if, if uh, you have a company values and then individuals values yes. that, that don't match up then it's always painful for, for everyone all around yeah um and then this is fascinating i i don't want to bring this to an end but um unfortunately that's the uh the, the values of, of the powers that be attaining yeah. the ferrets. I do want to ask you one question as a, as a serial entrepreneur, and even in the title of that, shiny object syndrome, I think, is something really interesting. And is that something that you've suffered with, that you ever encounter? Because with, with that entrepreneurial mindset, you're demonstrating the, the immense knowledge and passion that you have for, for these topics. Do you ever find yourself 
spread too thinly, pulled in different directions, not knowing where to, to focus your time and energy. You know, you've got that curve called the diffusion of distribution. Mm. And you've got uh, innovators and early adopters and early majority and then the late majority of laggards and so on. I'm definitely not an innovator. Mm. I may be an early adopter. I would like to be an early majority, but mm. I'm not because of my personality. An early majority has able has got some stickiness mm. when it comes to selling ideas and having influence over large people in order to grow the community. Yeah. Um, so in that situation, apologies, that that's a, that's an early adopter who has that skill set. Mm. Uh, in in the situation of when I look at it, I'm in this unique position. We've got a little business called Cornerstone Solutions. Mm. Cornerstone Solutions allows you to buy pre-built sales funnels and automations. Mm. You can experiment using those for a very simple, you know, uh, you can build a list for 197 US dollars. Based on that list, give it with a giveaway, an ebook or whatever. Now you can take another piece of software. Uh, and so you constantly can innovate and automate your ideas and put them out there. Mm. And so that's what I do. I, I've got this opportunity to say, well, when I studied startups and in the VC and angel investing models, in light of what we were wanting to do with one of the, with Provide, mm. I got a unique insight into what investors are looking for. And the top three things an investor is looking for is, do you have a unicorn or an aspirational vision and mission? Do you have the right people to deliver on that vision and mission? And most importantly, in my opinion, do you have traction? And then there's a lot of other things underneath that. But for the most part, if you look at those three things, you can test your ideas using technology. And the reason SaaS companies are very popular with investors is because they're very scalable. And if you use the benefit of something that's pre-built and you drop your idea in there, mm. and it, it could be anything. You could be a physiotherapist, uh, but the, the technology does the heavy lifting. Mm. The technology has the deflationary effect. The techno technology allows you to concentrate on the high payoff activities by inviting people to a calendar where you're dealing with them on a discovery call to know whether or not there's an opportunity to progress the conversation. Mm. And that's all done by technology. Yeah. So when you say, the, what does the future work look like? And am I at risk of the shiny things? Yes, I've got this smorgasbord of opportunity, mm. but for the most part, my experience is that I'm quite conservative. Mm. So because I've this conditional theory, behavioral theory of being beaten up every time I've gone down roads that mm. you know, either don't resonate at a hot level, I don't have a passion for. So in some respects, it's not just about the money. You know, you've got to find meaning, meaningfulness in it or purpose in it. I, I absolutely see that. And, and, and I love what you were saying there also. Because I think when many people think about stepping out of their comfort zones in a business sense, and the, the, the main one we hear is, I'd love to start my own business, but I don't know what, and I don't know how, and I'm too fearful. What you've highlighted is technology takes a lot of that risk and the fear and the cost away. It's not actually that that difficult. I'm sure if, if people came to yourself, they'd see how easy it was as well to, to, to test that idea. And, and I, I believe, and that's how knowledge helps people so much, because they don't have to be sat at home giving themselves excuses. It is easier than they could ever imagine to, to actually bring that passion and that dream to, to the market. We've, be, we've been consulting for 23, four years now, the whole time in Tauranga. Mm. But 
working in Australia and throughout New Zealand. And I've identified my, what I enjoy most about my job is creating uh, a sales funnel with automations. But before I get there, I need to understand the value proposition, mm. the USP, and then take and then take those elements and then drop them in there. Definitely. But for the main part, I'm not a coach. Mm. I'm a, I'm in I'm in, in the sector of technology, mm. and um, so for all those people out there that have business coaches, I'm not a threat <laughs> to the coach. I'm just trying to understand the business, and there's certain things that are a prerequisite in order for us to, which in essence is understand where the business is at, what is the goal setting, and then the needs analysis mm -hmm. in between that. Once we know the needs analysis, we're in a situation to identify what is the right fit for the technology. I love it. I mean, I could speak to you all day about this stuff. We're going to have to get you back for, for a part two. The final question that I have for you, final, final question, is um, is actually the, uh, the secret question. Now, okay. We have a tradition here on Taming the Ferrets that the previous guest gets to write a question for the current guest. So if I dip into my never stop looking up question book, and I, I don't know what this question is myself, so let's have a look. So the question our previous guest left for you is... All right, it's funny how these questions work out according to the conversation sometimes. What can we learn from the previous generation? Wow. It's almost our opening comments about the Gen Zs and millennials hacking life, but ultimately the importance of experience. Mm. Uh, if you don't have an intergenerational relationship when doing business or living life, the risk is you'll go down cul-de-sacs. And if there was a weakness for the youth, it's an overconfidence, whether it's a bravado facade um, or a genuine control or understanding of what they do in this world and how they navigate it. The reality is that we're living in a constantly changing world and the benefit of working with more experienced, mature people is that they've navigated the, through those seasons and come out the other side. I love that. What a wonderful, uh, a wonderful analogy. And I think that that's so powerful. I mean, I've loved this conversation. It's surpassed my highest expectations, which is, is an amazing thing. If anyone's listening to this and they want to, to get in touch with yourself or find out more about what you do or your business, how do they find you? Two places. Go to cornerstonesolutions.co.nz. That's cornerstonesolutions.co.nz. Book a discovery call if you want to have a chat which is on the top right-hand side of the, of the homepage, or uh, purchase one of the pre-built websites of sales funnels. That's one way. And if you want to hook up or connect on LinkedIn, uh, that's Emil Fister. So just look up Emil Fister on LinkedIn and constantly uh, posting every two days or so. Uh, and just, yeah, it would be great to connect and, and see how we can support each other. Perfect. And we'll put all those links into the uh, into the show bio and notes as well. So everyone can uh, can come to you and have a uh, have a, an ultimately powerful conversation. ML, thank you so much for being part of the show. We'd love to have you back soon. And uh, yes, in the meantime, I can't wait to see the uh, the future that uh, that you're going to create. Thank you. Appreciate Tom. And thanks to uh, Taming the Ferret. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much. Cheers.
Like what you hear? Don't forget to follow us on social media at Taming the Ferrets and to give us five stars on your podcast provider. We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid of sharing us with the world. This has been a WTF experience. Discover more of your favourite shows and learn how to launch your very own podcast at wtfproductions.nz.